the truth about truth. It is, uh, these are very changing times that we are in. And I did want to say very quickly, uh, even as, as I begin, most of the time I, I like to preach from a text. Uh, I really feel that and, and believe that it is a very healthy thing, as Pastor Chuck does, as you usually and typically do as a church, to preach expositionally through a book of the Scripture. Uh, there is much good that um, that does, I believe, and uh, many evils are avoided, actually, uh, by uh, preaching expositionally and textually. But I believe there are times when we will preach on a topic uh, in a profitable way. And this particular topic has been very much on my heart lately, especially as I observe the culture uh, that we are in right now. As I was saying, we live in changing times, and it is now common to read headlines like these. Wave of bills to block trans athletes has, not, has no basis in science, researcher says. Or Biden orders girls and women's sports, restrooms, locker rooms open to males. Earlier this month, a prominent music artist, Demi Lovato, made an announcement on social media. Today, she said, is a day I'm so happy to share more of my life with you all. I am proud to let you know that I identify as non-binary and will officially be changing my pronouns to they, them, moving forward. A tweet in response said, I love to see people unashamed and boldly proclaiming their truth. This past week in the Wall Street Journal, in a story conveying a newly proposed math curriculum in the state of California from K through 12, in a document entitled Pathway to Equitable Math Instruction is quoted as saying, the concept of mathematics being purely objective is unequivocally false. The manual explains, upholding the idea that there are always right and wrong answers perpetuates objectivity. Quite a statement. Many of these stories, we must say, cover very complex issues. Even those proposing policies and worldviews that we may or may not disagree with are often motivated, I think we have to say in charity, they are often motivated by a desire that people be treated fairly and with kindness, and I think we should say that's good. That's good. But beneath the headlines and beneath the debates lies an even deeper and more fundamental question, what is truth? Is there such a thing as truth? Is anything really true, or is what we call truth only a matter of personal perspective? Wow, pretty basic questions, but these are the very things that are being wondered about, considered, debated throughout our land. These things are no longer actually even the subject of dusty academic halls or even politics, but they are shot through, as we were seeing right here, the school board meetings, the headlines, common conversation in our towns. What is the truth about truth? Our culture is in turmoil right now over this most basic question. And so the church, which the Apostle Paul calls the pillar and the ground of the truth, must be crystal clear in its thinking 
What does the Bible say about truth? I have three headings that I want to discuss this under this morning. The first is God is true and declares truth. The second is truth and belief are two different things. Thirdly, the role of common sense and the spirit of perceiving truth. Or, I'm sorry, the spirit's role in perceiving truth. Now, I must say, this, this is a vast subject. Um, even with what I have prepared, hopefully it, it will be helpful. But I really feel like I am just dwarfed by this subject, to, to be honest. And so I trust what I have prepared uh, is, is in truth. Uh, but at the same time, I also confess that I'm also in process with these things and trying to understand them. I believe this is faithful, though, to what our God reveals to us. First of all, God is true and he declares truth. The Bible begins, as we know, by asserting a foundational grand reality with these amazing words, in the beginning, God, that before and behind everything there is God. He is not asserted as a concept. He is not asserted as an abstraction or even as an impersonal force. He is stated plainly as a personal, powerful, wise, creative, benevolent, and caring being who historically and in fact made all that there is. He later describes himself to Moses as the great I am, a name declaring that he is objective, independent, all-sufficient existence itself. The Bible asserts that this world, that this world is a true reality created by a true God. Now, this may not seem so radical, but again, we're already beginning to tread into waters that have come into question in our current culture. What does it mean, then, that God is true? And what I'm going to do is I'm actually just going to I'm going to go over a number of scriptures here rather quickly, uh, and I'm hoping that we can just feel the force of how much this is spoken about, this idea of truth in the scriptures, how much this is spoken about, and just feel the weight of that as we cover them under this first point. What does it mean that God is true? It means, firstly, that he is in actuality living and the source of all true Life. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, speaking to the Thessalonians, Paul says, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Here, truth and life are, are right next to each other. You turn from idols, dead idols, to serve the living and true God. No longer serving those dead idols, but God who is true. You're serving him who is true and is living. John 17, 3, very well-known passage. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know the true God is in some amazing way to know life itself, even eternal life itself. That his truth and him being truth is bound up with life in a way that only he can comprehend. What does it mean that God is true? It also means that he is actually holy and righteous. The martyrs in Revelation, as many of us have, have read, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Revelation 6.10. Here it means that God 
is the perfect and objective standard of all that is good, right, holy, and so he alone can judge the earth by what is true. What does it mean that God is true? It also means that he is in actuality faithful. I found this interesting in my, my study that the word emet in Hebrew, meaning true, from which we get the, the verb form amen, when it re- is in reference to a person, it is often translated with the word faithful, which is just very interesting. So a true person is a faithful person. A faithful person is a true person. And I find that helpful just personally, that if I'm going to be a faithful person, it's about being true. What you see is what you get. And what I claim to be by the grace of God, I am. Not perfectly, but by the grace of God, with integrity. Truth, integrity, faithfulness in its personal form. It is faithful. What does it mean that God is true? It means that He, most highly, most significantly, is the faithful and true God. Famously, when Moses was on the mountain and asked God, I want to see your glory. And so God, you know, tucks him in the cleft of the rock there and passes by so that Moses gets a sight of God's backward parts, as we're told. And then God declares, again, very famously about himself, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and truth. That word is faithfulness, truth, that same word, emet. Very cool. So it is the very nature of God to be true the true and living, the true and righteous, the true and faithful God. Isaiah 40, oh, but then as the true God, it is also the nature of God to declare truth. And so Isaiah 45 declares, I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And Romans 4.3, let God be true, though everyone is a liar. God speaks and declares what is true. But God declares his truth most supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, the very word of God, the very truth of God, the profound, everlasting, ever eternal word of God through which the scripture says, He brought forth the very worlds that we are in right now, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Christ says. John 18, 37, amazingly, as he stands on trial before Pilate, a beaten man outwardly, a preacher, strange preacher to many, as he stood there bloodied before this Gentile governor, and they have this incredible discussion. And Jesus there, as he's being questioned about Pilate as to his identity, Pilate says, so you are a king. And in response, for this purpose, 
I was born, Jesus says, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is on the truth, on the side of truth, listens to my voice. To which Pilate responds, as I think an early postmodern thinker apparently, what is truth? What is truth? So this is not a new thing. Even Pontius Pilate asked this most basic question. A scholar that I was reading, Douglas Gruthius, says this. He says, the biblical view of truth, that is the, the word in Hebrew, emet, and truth in Greek, which is aletheia, is like a rope with several intertwining strands. It involves factuality, faithfulness, and completeness. The Bible does not present truth as a cultural creation of the ancient Jews or the early Christians. They received truth from the God who speaks truth to his creatures, and they were expected by this God to confirm themselves, conform themselves to the truth. It's a good statement. So, first of all, God is true, and he declares truth. But secondly, truth and belief are two different things. Truth and belief are two different things. In the Bible, truth is an objective reality. That is, it is something that just is. And belief, or unbelief, is our response to it. So you have truth and you have belief. Truth is what is according to God and who he is and what he declares. And belief is how we respond. Either we believe it or we don't believe it or somewhere in between. We might be in between somewhere belief and unbelief, but it is our response. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, in Christ you also, Ephesians, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, not the same thing, but two different things, a response, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Truth and belief are two different things. I may believe to the core of my being that there is no such thing as gravity, but does that make it true? I'll go up on the building afterwards and jump off and we'll see what happens, right? <laughs> right? Just because I believe something, I may believe it altogether, but that does not actually make that thing true. Will my belief keep me from falling? Or I may doubt that a brand new bridge is unable to hold me. But does, that, does my lack of faith make the bridge unsafe? No. It's simply my perception. It's my belief. It's my opinion. And those things are really and truly mine. But it does not establish the reality of the case. It is just simply my response to it. Make sense? In the scriptures, truth is an objective reality that just is, quite apart from whether or not I believe it. Truth calls us to believe, but it is in no way dependent on me, that is truth, or you for its existence. Truth does not depend on my response in order for it to exist. According to the scriptures, truth just is. I was talking about this to my dad last night. We were at a birthday party for our grandson, and uh, I was talking about some of these things, and we were talking about the old saying, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, that is the old philosophical query that is really asking this very same question. 
is reality based, the reality of the sound that a tree makes in the woods, is the reality itself caused or based on my being there to perceive that the sound happened? And I would say the biblical answer to that question is no. Or, yeah. Wait, the sound happened whether I was there or not. Let me be clear. <laughs> I got how did I ask the question? Sound, that is an objective reality. As I understand the Bible, that sound, and there's lots of sounds happening right now in lots of woods right now. Nobody's within miles to hear them, and I say, under God, that sound is still making a noise. So, in Scripture, truth is an objective reality that just simply is quite apart from whether or not I believe it. Truth calls us to believe, but it is in no way dependent on me or you for its own existence. But, and this is where I want to talk about the philosophy of postmodernism a bit. The philosophy of postmodernism, as it's called, and it is a response to an earlier philosophical school of thought called modernism, late 1800s, early 20th 20th century. Postmodernism is actually a response to it. And along with its troubled son, critical theory, which is behind so much of popular thought today, it teaches something radically different about truth. Postmodernism is a very complex and hard-to-define subject. But I think in simple terms, if we picture the biblical idea of God and his universal truth being like the sun in the solar system, and our beliefs and our thoughts about him and his truth as the orbiting planets, some closer, some further apart from the sun, that is more like the picture of biblical, the biblical idea of truth. But postmodernism has a very different picture. It has no universal God. It has no universal truth, but it places every person and group in the center of their own solar system, all defining their own truth and locked in an unending power struggle against the other solar systems for dominance. This is a very different picture and understanding of truth. The result is constant chaos and ever-increasing separation. One writer, I think, very helpfully describes this as a little bit of an extended quote. Postmodernists are convinced that every political and social order, indeed every language, is an assertion of power by some group over others. And it will always be that way. To propound a particular worldview as capable of achieving liberty and justice for all, like our American Constitution, or perfectly equitable distribution of resources, as the communist revolutionaries aim to do, To to make such a claim is the most violent assertion of all. Why? Because, says the postmodernist, there can be no perfect system which fosters total equality, for every community has its own distinct code of ideals that competes with the others. Thus, when an ideology masquerades itself as equally interested in the well-being of all people, it is necessarily a ploy meant to achieve political power for some and the political domination of others. The very same can be said of any manner of describing reality which claims to be objectively true, be it scientific, ideological, religious, etc. Pretentious claims to objective truth ultimately dominate and suppress other people's vantage points. 
quite a mouthful, I know. But can you see how this is in diametrical opposition to what the Bible teaches about truth? Here, subjective belief based on a person's personal experience is made to be the person's truth, which may be quite different from your truth or my truth because their experience is different. Here, truth and belief are not separate things, but they are convoluted and made particularly or practically to be the same thing. So my belief, my opinion, my point of view, my viewpoint becomes the place where my truth is found and established based upon my experience. And that may be totally different than you. And so therefore, I have my truth and you have yours. And we hear this in the popular culture, don't we? We hear people speaking just this way. Well, you know, that's my truth. It's a strange and, you know, people talk in lots of different ways, but it is interesting that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so these kinds of expressions, though people use them sometimes not thinking much about it, they are based actually in a pervasive cultural worldview that is making its way into the popular culture. So God is true and he speaks truth. Secondly, truth and belief are two different things. Thirdly, the role of common sense and the spirit in perceiving truth. Common sense, according to the dictionary, is using good judgment, especially in practical matters. It's pretty, I like it, it's a folksy definition, but it's one that we all understand. But quite literally, using common sense relies very heavily on trusting uh, what we call our five senses sight and hearing, touch, taste, and smell, the mechanisms that God has given us that are calibrated for experiencing and measuring the world which he has made. Ever thought about that? I think about this all the time when I'm going out for a run. It's early in the morning. I just got out of bed. I'm blurry-eyed and everything, but I do, I can see well enough and hear well enough to know that when I step out onto Stroudsburg Road and look both ways and hear a big truck coming that I ought not to step into the road yet. And it is my assumption, actually, that my senses are calibrated closely enough to what is actually the truth about that truck on Stroudsburg Road that if there was a truck that had sound and sight that was not calibrated to it, that I would step out and not see the invisible truck and be flattened and never having known it. Why? Because my senses in that case would not actually be calibrated with God's world. But, as is the case, our senses, not perfectly, but trust, trustingly in many ways, are calibrated to the world which God has made. So, but it is, it's kind of an amazing thing because it's not just common sense that relies on our senses, but also law, math, science, and even the realm of faith assumes that our senses can generally be trusted to perceive and even measure the truth about the reality God has made around us. So when the judge asks in the courtroom and he says, are you sure 
You heard the defendant scream at his co-worker just before he punched him. It is assumed that what the witness experienced through his eyes and through his ears can help the judge and the jury determine the truth about what actually took place. Or when a scientist or a mathematician asserts the radical notion that one plus one equals two, that this is not just a made-up abstraction designed to oppress and control the masses, but it is an actual truth based in the most observable and repeatable of experiments, that when you have one apple and it's sitting there on the table and you take another apple and set it next to it, you now have two apples. It's based in reality. It just is true. It's not an opinion. It is not oppression. It is true. Even in the realm of faith, and I found this very interesting, where we are told now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Oh, okay, so faith and not seeing somehow go together. Blessed are those who have believed and yet have not seen, Jesus says to Thomas. Even in the realm of faith, where this is the case, the Bible calls on our physical senses to ground our faith in realities that are beyond our senses. Now, that may seem like a, a riddle or something, the way that came out. But the Bible calls our physical senses to observe things, to ground our faith in that which we cannot perceive with our eyes. And so Psalm 19, verse 1, we all know, the heavens declare the glory of the unseen God. But what declares the glory of the unseen God? The heavens which we see. The heavens which, it says, speak to us, though there is no language. They declare to the entire world there is a God. He's unseen. But his power and his wisdom are evident through the senses he has given you to observe these things. And I love this. Luke chapter 24, our Lord has died and risen from the dead. He's making appearances to his disciples in various ways. I want you to notice as we read this passage how the various senses are called upon in this interaction where Christ is calling his disheveled and upset and confused little band of believers. He's calling them to faith. And he says, I want you to use your senses here. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it while they were watching. They're all like, whoa. Did you see that? He just ate a fish sandwich. <laughs> and they saw him do it. And Jesus says, I want you 
to trust your senses to establish something that is actually true, objectively true. I am risen from the dead, physically, bodily, historically, actually, truly. I'm alive again. And I call on your sight, your hearing, and your touch to bear witness to its truth. The senses are called upon to ground their faith in the reality and power of God seen in his bodily resurrection and the trustworthiness of the scriptures that foretold it. But the senses alone are not enough to show us all of God's truth. Though there are things the senses can perceive, sadly, because of the fall, because of sin, man, and we included with them, unaided by the Spirit of God, often come to the wrong conclusions about God. And so, only briefly, actually, for time's sake, uh, so much more could be said on this particular point, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 says this, speaking of all of us in our natural state, lost in our sins. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. But, John 3.3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is a seeing that is spiritual. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness. To him, says Paul to the Corinthians, but the Spirit of God enlightens the eyes so that even what the senses do perceive as God's truth in creation, he also quickens in order for them to have spiritual understanding that they might actually see him and his kingdom as true. So these are our three points by way of actually looking at very briefly, this very vast subject of the truth about truth. But as we close, I just have some, some closing thoughts that I want to share as we think about the, uh, the conclusions that we should come to based upon these things which we're looking at. And I think I just lost my page. Excuse me just a sec. Here we go. So first of all, by way of conclusion, postmodernism and critical theory, I want to say plainly, and I believe this to be biblically so, undermine biblical authority. If followed ideologically, and that's an important statement, because not everybody who uh, claims to uh, some of the ideas that are connected with these things, not all of them are looking at it in the most strict ideological sense. But if followed ideologically, postmodernism and critical theory make the mind of man, not the truth of God revealed in Scripture, the ultimate authority for people and societies. Adherents to these philosophies often claim that unless someone is part of their particular subgroup and share their unique experience, then another person outside that experience does not have a voice for speaking into their circumstances. Now, this is plainly against what the Scripture claims. The Scripture claims that God's truth has authority over everyone, everywhere, at every time, in every 
place. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God, the preacher, the pastor, any of us who would look to God's truth may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. Look at all those descriptive words. So that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. God's truth applies to everyone, everywhere, at every time, in every place. Secondly, though, by way of observation, postmodernism and critical theory undermine biblical unity. As stated, postmodernism and critical theory, if followed ideologically, are poisonously divisive. They break humanity into these endlessly splintered factions and disunity. On the other hand, only God's truth, if followed, and I want to emphasize this too, because this is just true and fair. Only God's truth, if followed, commands unity through humble impartiality. James 4, 1 through 4, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. The truth of God says, when we show partiality to people and treat them according to their outward appearance or circumstances, that we make judgments with evil thoughts. It's evil. Racism is evil. True racism is evil. It's partiality. It's what the Bible calls showing partiality. But here's the unifying, strangely unifying reality for all of us who would claim to be disciples of Christ. We have all sinned, the scripture says. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need mercy. We all need the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. The ground at the foot of the cross, as it has been well said, is perfectly level for everyone, no matter tribe, tongue, people, nation, circumstance, poverty or rich, whatever their outward circumstance, the ground is perfectly level, and I must say, and will say, wonderfully unifying at the foot of the cross. There is as we heard the Galatian uh, version of this, this is actually from Colossians. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Here, if only it were followed, is the most unifying doctrine the world has ever known, or at least it should be. But here I want to pause and state a sad fact, but I think it's one that as the church, universal, and the church in the United States, we do need to be honest about and to think carefully about. It is a sad fact that often the truth of God in Jesus Christ has been used by sinful men and cultures 
even the church in various forms, to rule and dominate others rather than to serve and to unify. And here I want to speak frankly. I know there are diverse opinions, and I want to be respectful, but I also want to be fair, and I also want to be honest because I believe it's important according to the Scriptures. This message about truth, in the way I intend it, is not a veiled polemic for defending whiteness or Americanism. There are things about America that are very good in the eyes of God, which I love and am proud of. I love, I love this country. I'm glad to be an American, and I am proud to be here. I am grateful that many throughout the world, from all kinds of circumstances and backgrounds, still want to come here. I'm glad. I'm glad. And there are a lot of good reasons for that because of what America stands for and has been. There are also things about America that I am, frankly, not proud of. There are and have been things which have been done that are an abomination to God. As Christians, we must be, and I think this is so hard to do, but I think it's so important. As Christians, we must be impartial and stand for what God says is true, what God says is true and just. We must be honest about where the church itself has failed to be just in the past and failed to live up to God's lofty, impartial standard. We can love our nation, but we should only affirm American culture or any earthly culture and its history to the degree that it is a righteous culture. Where the United States and other countries has stood for partiality and true oppression, as it has, sadly, at times, then we as believers should be first and loudest to decry it. What was done, and I'm speaking very plainly, what was done to the blacks in our culture and the American Indians at times was actually wicked and unjust. I'm not saying everything. I'm not saying everything that everybody claims is unjust or injustice is so. But I think it is also dishonest not to say that true injustices have happened. Grievous injustices have happened. When minorities speak about what God, God calls true injustice, we must stand with them. I think that it's not un-American. It's Christian. <laughs> not seeking to be un-American. I just want to be Christian. And I think that is what God would have us be according to his truth. And so finally, as we come to a close, I would just give this plea for what I'm calling a clear biblical thinking with humility. If I may, I'll close by saying this one more thing that I think is vitally important. There is a lot of debate about these things in the church right now. There are true brothers and sisters in Christ who say, for instance, that while the philosophies that we've talked about, that while they are godless and unbiblical at their base, in their basic worldview, they argue 
that they, these philosophies have sometimes described and addressed the real problems of race and culture more accurately and effectively than the church has seemed to be able to do. Brothers and sisters, let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'm not saying that just because true brothers and sisters in Christ have strong opinions, strong beliefs about something, or that we have strong opinions and beliefs, that that makes them true or it makes us true. We'd be postmodernists in that case, right? I got my truth, you got yours. If we're going to really live by what we've been talking about here is living according to God's truth together, even where we disagree it's going to take a lot of humility and listening and coming to God's word together in Christ by the help of the Spirit of God and saying, brethren, let's see what God says is true. Not easy business. Very, very difficult. Takes so much wrestling of the heart under God, prayerful wrestling. But may God help us to buy the truth and sell it not, but also to be good listeners who judge with righteous judgment with all humility.